Hey, hey, friends, and welcome to World Domination. I'm your host, Monica Ferguson, and you are in the perfect place to learn how to grow, how to become an even more amazing version of you, and to connect into a community of like-minded people who are all walking this path and aren't afraid to share the highs and the lows of chasing your dreams. I'm so glad you're here with us. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hey, hey, friends, Monica Ferguson here, and welcome back to World Domination. This week's podcast for you comes with a little bit of a trigger warning. Now, my guest, Jan Haldane, who I got to record a podcast with a few months ago all around narcissists, has come back, and she is here to help us learn about abusive relationships. Um, And yeah, this one, it goes pretty deep. And we share a lot about our own experiences. And this is really for for anyone who is in it still. If you know someone who's going through something, this will help you to understand what their experience is and some things that you can do to help. And even if you've come out of it, this is going to help you feel not alone in your experiences and understand some of the things that happen at the psychological level, which will make sense to you when you hear them it'll explain why you might have struggled to let go in the past so let's get into it guys and please just make sure that you know that you can always reach out to someone for help always and Jan mentions several of those people in this podcast so enjoy guys enjoy and I hope I really really hope that this serves you let's go welcome back Jan Thank you, Monica. It's great to be back. I'm so happy to have you back. And I feel like we've almost just recorded a whole podcast, well, that we didn't record at the start of this conversation. <laughs> but we've <laughs> we're just well, we did, up. just about, yeah. <laughs> we've we've flexed our muscles, which is good because I wasn't I wasn't really sure how to approach this conversation because by far it's the heaviest one that I've ever recorded. Um, which is why it's actually so awesome that you're here as well. And because we've already recorded this other episode about narcissism so highly recommend everyone listens to that but um yeah really interesting time at the moment in the world around sort of this exposure almost of abusive relationships I feel like we're having more conversations about it um as we were just discussing about you know all these movements that are coming out right now so shall we start with some hard cold stats because I and then we'll get into all of your wisdom, which I can't wait. And I'll take way more notes and ask way more questions. But um, so we were, do- we were talking about this the other day. An article written in the New Zealand Herald on the 2nd of September 2020, which was all around the rates of, in particular, domestic violence and family violence in this country, which, like, I knew it was bad, but it was shocking. Like, it was actually shocking to read this. And so I'm just going to read because I actually took notes. How diligent am I? Um, Okay, so these are the points that I've taken down from this article, which I highly recommend everyone goes back to read. So it said that in New Zealand, um, there's a rapid increase of domestic violence, uh, especially strangulation and beatings in our commonplace. Mm-hmm. In 2019, the police attended 105,000 domestic violence incidents, but if they were all reported, it would have been at least 525,000, because at least 80% of family violence incidents are not reported to police. 80%. I know, it's tragic, isn't it? 
yeah, got some stories about that. We'll get to that though. I'm only on my fourth point, focus. Okay. <laughs> this will probably be a tangent conversation I'm imagining down the rabbit hole. Okay. One in three women experience physical and or sexual violence from a partner in their lifetime. Abuse is not only physical. It can be emotional, psychological, financial, or spiritual. Children are present at about 80% of all violent incidents. That made mm -hmm. me want to vomit when I read that one. On average, 13 women and 10 men are killed each year of intimate partner violence-related deaths. 76% were perpetrated by men. 24% by women. Police attend a family violence incident every five and a half minutes, 279 calls a day. Mm. Family violence is estimated to cost the country between $4.1 and $7 billion a year. Um, and then it talked about how perpetrators come from all walks of life. And we've seen a lot of that in the media, you know, sports stars and celebrities and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I know we were speaking before this call about that charity called Shine, who works with a lot of, uh, you know, victims and stuff, which is awesome. And they were speaking about how the first lockdown last year had, there was a massive spike in violence and reported incidents. They were saying reported incidents of strangulation were coming through four or five times a day. What? Like... <laughs> And yeah, then, I've, I've read articles on different articles on that as well. And it's actually on the Women's Refuge um, website now about strangulation. Yeah. I yeah. mean, seems to be COVID's actually brought up a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Well, a lot of stress, I get. I mean, if, if stress is already a factor, if we start bringing in issues around money and, um, and also, I, I suppose, everyone's being trapped together in a, in a house, aren't mm -hmm. they? There's no escape. That's it. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, the last few were, yeah, they were saying more brutal violence, sexual stabbings and strangulation had a massive increase. Um, and the severity of violence was the worst they'd seen in 18 years. And they were getting double the referrals at least. So this was post lockdown. Double the referrals um, and people were going to hotels and stuff because they'd run out of capacity to, to support people. And so... Yeah, it's just interesting. I um, because I know our last podcast was around narcissism in particular, and I have this real call to start speaking about physical violence now. And maybe it's my own personal therapy as well, a little bit. But I, you know how when there's something, something that you feel called to do, and you just start seeing it everywhere, like science, like you can't, you think about it, you dream about it, you're meditating, and these things pop into your head. And for me, it's been domestic violence in particular, even platforms like TikTok, which is this fun social media platform. I keep seeing videos of women, survivors, coming home, seeing their homes trashed by, by a partner. And I, it, just, it makes me feel sick. And I'm like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Let's do something about this because I'm not actually willing to sit and do nothing. So that's where I've brought in the big guns, Jan. So you're here to just solve everyone's problems. Cool. Oh, I am. <laughs> 40 minutes tell me that, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> I trapped you. False sense of security. But um, I think that, I know there's, there'll be so many, again, rabbit holes for us to go down here. But I think the first question that I want to ask you, actually, is to speak about what is abuse? That's a really good one, um, Monica, because most people really 
view abuse as being physical abuse. And I mean, I, I did the same thing when I was young. As I was saying to you before we got on this um, podcast, that, you know, when I was about 32, I was arguing with a counsellor that I went to that I wasn't being abused because, of course, he wasn't hitting me. But I was being emotionally and psychologically abused in a whole lot of ways. But um, I, I just didn't see it. I really, I really didn't. And then, of course, as again, as we were talking about, it stemmed back from the fact that I'd had a narcissistic mother. And again, there wasn't physical or sexual abuse in my childhood, but there was so much psychological and emotional abuse that it had become normalised. Yeah. And so when I got into this relationship, I basically got into a relationship with my mother <laughs> in a male form. Yeah. Or similar to it, which is very, very common. You know, this is what happens. So to me, a lot of this stuff was normal. It wasn't a, abuse. I mean, I didn't even realize at that point that I'd had an abuse of childhood. But when I look back at it now, I mean, it's just absolutely staggering, some of the stuff. Um, and I've written about that in my my blog, um, Child of a Narcissistic Mother. So, yeah, so this is the whole thing. Abuse is, is many, many things. Um, there is, apart from physical abuse, there's psychological, emotional, uh, physical, well, physical, we've talked about financial abuse. Now, that's a big one. Yeah. And I also see that uh, featuring on the Women's Refuge site. Sexual abuse, of course, is becoming um, more and more common as you were just talking about in that um, article you were quoting from and again looking at women's refuge site and as we were discussing earlier um, there's also this forcing people to get pregnant you know this this control and coercion thing of making women actually get pregnant by stealing their contraceptives or whatever it's called reproductive coercion mm. so look, there's just so many sorts of abuse but they all take a toll on the person you know it's the old saying you know back in the day because you know i'm, I'm not young and I'll, I'll carbon date myself i'll be 63 this year <laughs> but you know back in the day it was sticks and stones can break your bones but words can never hurt you or names can never hurt you you know it's a load of bollocks quite frankly and but we know that now you know we have so much information that I really think that those of us who are on this um, mission, one of our prime jobs is raising awareness of yeah. what abuse is. Because so many people are in abusive relationships, but they don't know it. They honestly don't. They know there's something wrong, mm. but they're not willing to use the word abuse. Yeah. Because to be in an abusive relationship is shameful. And so they're, they're suffering from this toxic shame where they don't want to talk about it with other people. And so that means that they often don't get the help they need and they're trapped in these awful relationships until something happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of them, you know, going going back in the day and I know it still happens we'll wait till the kids leave home yeah in the mistaken um thought that you know I oh, know well we won't have a um, broken family you know we'll stay there but the kids know what's going on 
Of course. It's not actually helping <laughs> them. I, I, you know, I know that some people would be against that, but it's not actually helping them. So, yeah, unfortunately, too many people in unhealthy relationships. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things to observe, and again, I highly recommend everyone goes back to listen to our original podcast because we, we both grew up with narcissists as quote unquote role models as children. So we've shared about that as well. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things that I've observed is the way that we diminish our abuse is, you know, we go, oh, it's not, yeah, because he hasn't hit me, it's not abuse, or it's not as bad as that person, it's not abuse, I just need to harden up. The amount of times that we blame ourselves, and that we shift, and it's, it's not even necessarily about blame, but it's that we take responsibility for their behavior that's poor, and we make, and the amount of times that I did this, and I look back now, and I just think, how did I do that so many times, you know, and I, I heard this amazing thing the other day, um, honestly, TikTok, seriously i keep going on about it it's so good there are all these all of these people and they're speaking about narcissism and what to look for and, and all this kind of stuff and how to heal and it's amazing but one of the one of the signs they said is if your friend was in, in this situation what would you say and we'd all say get out get out get out get out but we don't do it for us and i'm like that's the key isn't it and isn't it so interesting how we don't want to say abuse we don't want to say i am a victim or i've been abused and again, we were speaking about this before working on this chapter in my book about this and the the real the physiological resistance that i had to even saying i had been abused and the voices that came up exactly as you said well he didn't hit you this wasn't abuse I'm mm. like, isn't that insane that we have been i want to say suppressed so much to even believe, like, it's just, it's bringing up all sorts of stuff, isn't it, at a societal level of how, oh, I, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it is the rabbit hole. It's quite easy to go down that rabbit hole, and it's a really deep rabbit hole. Yeah. And I think what, what it does is it, it brings back um, a lot of childhood stuff to be healed yeah. that we didn't even realise that we still hadn't healed because a lot of us have been on that journey of, of um, personal growth and trying to um, trying to heal and mm. in, in the big picture of healing. But, you know, little things come up, they get triggered, and then all of a sudden you remember something. And, I mean, I see this a lot with hypnosis, you know, when we do um, an, a regression, not a necessarily not a past life regression, but, you know, mm. taking um, taking the client back to an earlier stage of this particular lifetime and yeah you see it all of a sudden they remember something that you know some that perhaps someone said to them it was a throwaway comment even and they've carried that with them you know they might be 50 something now and and that has really um held them back in a lot of ways yeah and so yeah there's just those things that that trigger and you suddenly realize oh no i haven't actually finished healing whether we ever finish completely healing, I don't know. We can certainly get to a point where things are so much better. And I think that's what we all want to achieve, where we're not constantly triggered. Yeah. Because if yeah. we are, then we, we haven't healed it. Yeah. Do you have to be a narcissist to be physically violent? No. How do they go together? What's the relationship between them? 
Well, narcissists are not necessarily physically violent. Um, they, you know, they are abusers in, in some way, but it, it may be emotional abuse and financial abuse. Yeah. So some people are violent. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily a narcissist. Now, like we were talking about before, you have to be careful here because we use that word very freely. In, in this time in history, you know, that, that word wasn't even used when I was growing up. It was just known in my family that my mother was difficult, but no one even knew the word narcissist. So and probably the same with yours. So we just, um, you know, the people we call narcissists are not diagnosed by a mental health professional as narcissists, most probably because they never would have gone along to a mental health professional a, because they don't think there's anything wrong with it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you got it, you got it. So, <laughs> um, so you, you don't know, but the, they will certainly have some of those traits, you know, because they won't just be physically uh, abusing someone. There'll probably be psychological abuse like gaslighting or whatever going on as well and there might be financial abuse and they might be abusing the children and trashing the house like you, see, you know mm. there's all these things but not all narcissists are physically abusive that's absolutely for sure and someone who is may or may not be a person with narcissistic traits mm. so you can't you know there's no definite saying that there's one or the other yeah, yeah. Can you can you please speak about how if you start a relationship with an abuser, how do they actually manage to get control of you? Well, it's a bit like the frog and the pot of water. If you know that one, and the pot of water is sitting on the stove or on on the hob, and the the frog is in there, and slowly it comes to the boil. Right, so. That's what happens. They slowly, slowly do this. And I've got an ebook that I've written actually all, all about this because so many people blame themselves for getting into these relationships. And perhaps their friends and family say, oh, well, you know, you married him or, or whatever, or you chose that person. So um, it's because in the beginning they are putting on like a mask, a false self, because the underlying thing is that they don't like themselves. And they believe, and this is subconscious, you know, they actually believe that if someone could see who they really were, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. So they act, they're great actors, mm -hmm. and they take their cues from their victim, and then they start mirroring them and doing all those things that makes the victim start to feel that, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. This person really gets me. Yeah. They don't actually at all. They're just acting. And then um, then they start love bombing, of course, and then they might start things like extravagant gifts and um, taking you out to dinner somewhere nice, all that sort of stuff so that you believe that you're getting this absolutely fantastic person. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, you know, the, they haven't turned they haven't yet turned on um, the switch on the on the hop. Yeah. And then they, but then they turn it on and they slowly, slowly turn it up. Mm. And it's tepid and then it's warm. And then before you know it, they are controlling you. Mm. That is how it happens. It's an insidious process. 
it really is. And there is the, um, there's actually a cycle of narcissistic abuse. And there's three, um, there's three parts to it. There's the idealize. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the narcissist agenda, this is when they're starting, is to groom their victim and perhaps the victim's family and friends to cultivate a sense of trust and commitment. And they engage with the victim's empathy because they love empaths, as we both know, mm -hmm. to accelerate bonding, loyalty and attachment. They pretend that they love the person while planting seeds of self-doubt in the victim to foster emotional dependency and secure power and control in the relationship. And they invest in the victim to instill a sense of gratitude, obligation, and owing. So, you know, they might have they might have done something like, I don't know, you know, I had one that I moved from Auckland to Tauranga and he actually he had trucks not big trucks, but he had trucks. And so he moved me and saved me $4,000, which I didn't have at the time. Yeah. Um, I would have later, but I didn't have it at that particular point in time. Uh, but, oh, no, he wanted to do it, and it was very, very pushy, you know. They kind of pushed their help down your throat. And so I said, oh, well, okay. And then I when I got to the other end, you know, I got, well, you know, if I can't move in with you, then you owe me that money. For oh, yuck. Yeah. You know, so that was, um, yeah, that's the type of thing. So that's, it's that sense of owing. Suddenly yeah. you owe them. So that's, that's one of the things, but that's kind of, you know, so that's the first part of the cycle. And then it goes into devalue. So that's when you start to really, um, Start start to get a bit of a handle on their behaviour and you don't like it. No. And they can't handle that because to them a relationship is a reflection of their perfection. So when you find that they're not perfect, which most of us can find, you know, once we've had that tipping point of them actually um, entangling us in the, in the relationship, whether it's financially, whether it's by living together, getting married, having a baby, get, even getting pregnant. And then they start to devalue their victim. So maybe they, they bring someone else into the relationship like an ex. They're very good at that. Um, yeah, so that, that's the next one. And then, of course, it goes around in a cycle because you'll get fed up with them and then they'll love bomb you again. And then at the end of the day, there comes the third part, which is the discard. So either you've had enough and you leave, or they've, had, they've found someone else because they try and always have their next supply ready. Um, so in that second uh, cycle of the devalue, so the abuser, because of course narcissists are mainly abusers, begins to make subtle suggestions for change and improvement of their victim pretending to be concerned, but actually they're delivering criticism, degradation, insults, and name-calling. But sometimes, you know, they make that into a joke, but it's not a joke, and you know it's not a joke. Mm -hmm. But they tell you you're too sensitive if you call them out on it. Mm -hmm. And they begin to more overtly isolate the victim and restrict or control the victim's resources and activities. 
So as we were discussing earlier, it could be, you know, not wanting, um, let's say a woman, not wanting a woman to work. So then they've got control over here. And then they start to withdraw emotionally and you get the silent treatment, which is stonewalling, nitpicking, gaslighting, intimidation, threats, violation of the victim's boundaries, communication, which was probably never actually authentic, breaks down. And of course, then the triangulation or the love triangle begins. Um, and then we go into the discard one, the final the final one, so abuse escalation. So then the abuser displays cruelty or contempt or coercive force, and they might rage. Now, this rage isn't necessarily loud. It can be silent rage. I can remember that when I was talking to you about the moving trucks, and he would be sitting beside me, and I could feel the energy. He was just raging inside, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't admit to it. Mm -hmm. And of course, then everything escalates. So you know, you've got the whole um, gamut of verbal, emotional, financial, sexual, and/or physical violence. Um, maybe they start um, hurting your pets. That's that's another thing that they can do. Uh, they commit significant betrayals. So maybe they're having affairs and make excuses and gaslight. Of course, again, which is one of their main things, minimizes any abuse or betrayal that they've done invalidates the victim's emotional response and, of course, blames the victim for causing mm. the abuse and the betrayal and then discards the victim temporarily or permanently because most of the time they'll try and hoover their way back, which means suck up to you again. Yeah. Yeah. So probably somewhere in there you recognise the pattern, that this is a, a well-known yeah. pattern. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. I have so many examples I could give for so many of those things. But um, one of the things I want to ask you about, so, you know, in the early stages, how they, I mean, it's interesting hearing you speak about masking because I never heard that before. And, you know, that's, for people that don't know, that's a rapport building exercise at the unconscious level. It's very much a psychological game, isn't it? Like to trap us, to, to because people like people like them. So they're, they're basically becoming who we want them to be so that we feel... Oh, the mirroring. Yeah. Yeah, mirroring, yeah, sorry, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah, totally is. Yeah, it's an NLP thing. At an unconscious um, level, though, that's the thing. I want people to really take away from that. It's not at your conscious level of awareness. No, no, it's it's not. So that you, they sound as if, you know, they're like all the same things that you do. And um, the thing is that actually that's usually not the case at all. And of course, when you've met, when you've reached the tipping point, as I call it, and they start showing who they really are, then you find out, Hang on a minute. Like we'll talk about Mr. Trucks. Mr. Trucks, the first day I met him, which actually, what good timing. I met him six years ago on St. Patrick's Day. Wow. Six years ago from um, making this podcast, I met him in Auckland, and we went to dinner at a Mexican restaurant. Now, I love Mexican food, you know, and... He, he likes meat and veg because, you know, that's, that's just the way he is. But he pretended he liked everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'd never get him anywhere near a, a Mexican restaurant. So they, they just would pretend anything. Yeah. 
And he told me, you know, like later on in the piece, that that basically he would pretend anything not to be on his own. He admitted that. Wow. Yeah, I mean that, that's just putting that's kind of putting it in a nutshell. But because yeah. um, he had a, a whole track record of luring women into his web and getting them to relocate and all the rest of it. Heaps and heaps of them. That That's what he did. Yeah. Yeah, and of course that isolation thing, now that's a big one. Yeah. And that's what people have to be very, very careful of. Is yeah. any is becoming isolated from your friends and family. They'll try and do that anyway, even if you live in the same city or suburb. But to be geographically isolated, you're really putting yourself down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And that's what I found when I came to the country town I live in. Yeah. That is exactly what happened. That, that, that was a huge tipping point. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was a, you know, a professional woman and not even allowed to go down the road and have a latte because it would affect his mental health. <sighs> yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, I did go and get my lattes, but yeah. <laughs> because I'm quite bolshy, you know, and all of a sudden, actually, when I, when I moved in now, because I was busy unpacking, packing up his, his crap and all the rest of it, and um, but besides having trucks, he had cars, and so I'd, my car was parked in the drive and there were cars all behind it. And I'd said to him, oh, look, can, um, can you just shift those cars around so I can get out? Because I just want to go into, into town. I knew no one here in, in this town, you know. Oh. I, I just want to go and kind of explore or whatever. It took three days before he actually let my car out. Three days. And then I knew I was in this shit. Yeah. A prisoner yeah. in your own home, effectively. Exactly. And then yeah. I thought, oh, no, surely, no, this can't be happening to me. Oh, my God. You know, I'm 56 years old, I think, at that time, or seven yeah. or something. Yeah. And um, and this is happening to me and all the stuff I know. And I'd written a book about relationships the year before. Yeah. And I thought, holy, I won't say the word, you know. You can say um, what you like on here. People have said a lot worse. Oh, you're like, holy <laughs> fuck. You know, yeah. holy fuck, basically. Yeah. What am I going to do? And of course, I could have done a lot, and I, I didn't do it because I hoped that it might get better. And this is what happened: mm. people hoped that it might get better, but you know what? It never did. No. 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 I just okay. got bullshit and bullshit. Yeah. That's and this is really interesting because that's what happened to me as well, and. And thankfully for me, I was long distance. So he couldn't really get control of me financially or in terms of my friends or anything like that. Um, or my, you know, my schedule or anything like that. But it was as I got further in that I got a lot less tolerant and a lot louder and I would call him on stuff. And that's when he got really scary. Um, and I started to, like I said to you before this call, I, there was one moment where we were at a hotel and I'd literally backed him into a corner because he had, as I've taken so many notes in this last segment, Jen, there's the bit about stonewalling. He hadn't spoken to me for three days and I was beside mm. myself, right? Wanting to like make peace and have a conversation and just talk with her. And he would not, it was my punishment. He would not speak to me. I had literally backed him into a corner in this hotel room 
and this look on his face like he was so angry and it reminded me of my ex-stepdad and it was the first time I thought oh oh my god they're exactly the same and it was the first moment I thought he might actually hit me like I'd never felt physically unsafe until that point and in that moment I felt sick and I couldn't leave that night because we'd been drinking and I had nowhere to go it was like 1am but I got up the next morning and I left and I left him in a hotel room for three days in my city didn't like that obviously I got all the abusive texts after that but that was like yeah, the, the moment that I started speaking up for myself is almost when I really saw his true colours in a way that was undeniable. And I had denied so many things up until that point. Looking back now, and like I was saying, writing all this stuff in my book, it's it brings up all the shame and all of this kind of, how did I let that slide? How did I miss that? How did I miss that? How did I choose to, yeah, to focus on, oh, if I just, once I move to Auckland, it'll all be better. That was my solution. It's only because we're long distance. Once I move to Auckland, all of this will be better. But thankfully, the universe had my back and it blocked me. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about, do you think, is stonewalling, so the silent treatment, effectively, mm-hmm. is that abuse? Well... It's like a grey area, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a grey area. I mean, it, it, is, it is really, but it is a common um, thing that's used by people who aren't narcissists as well. Yeah. But for narcissists, they they do use it a lot. Some, some of more than others, not all of them so much. And they use it because they hate to be ignored themselves. So the worst thing you can do for the narcissist is what you were just talking about, and well done you, you got out of the hotel and then you ignore them. They can't stand it. Yeah. So you've called them out. So you've opened up a narcissistic wound, which triggers all their insecurities. Mm-hmm. Right. So they've been seen. They don't want to be seen. Yeah. They want to have that relationship as their reflection of perfection. Now, no one's perfect. None of us are perfect, you know, and relationships can be darn hard going whether you're with a narcissist or not yeah. but um with them yeah once once you call them out you start to trigger the narcissistic wound and then they can get pretty pretty nasty so yeah he might have been thinking about hitting you um a lot of them don't because they know that if they do hit you then really they've shown themselves right yeah yeah, really, they've shown themselves. Where they can, most of the other sorts of abuse, they can kind of get away with without anyone else necessarily knowing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so the whole stonewalling thing is a narcissistic tactic, and if you want to really piss them off, then you do the same to them. And, of course, you block them on everything, as we were talking about before, and they hate it. And, and I, had, <laughs> I had one actually that I met on a cruise ship this is in 2019 and I decided to go from Auckland to Alaska on a ship now cruising is my thing so you know this is my (laughs) big treat and I thought I'll go now when I'm still young enough you know to to do this stuff so um, I met this guy on there from Australia and um, we had a fling on the ship and then which was fine and then um it kind of kept on going but yeah he was um he was a a narcissist at the end of the day he came over a couple of times and the second time oh my god I was so glad when he went it was just 
so bad. And um, yes, so then he started trying to stalk me because I, I, I told him up front that, you know, I'd had, I'd had enough and this was... Hmm. So that I couldn't meet his needs because his needs were so great that I wasn't going to give up my life at that point in time to be someone's mother in an emotional punching bag when my kids had grown and left home. Yeah. So um, he started trying to contact my friends through Facebook and um, get, get them to, um, to talk to me, to contact him. And of course they they wouldn't because they're all therapists. <laughs> yeah. They're all mature age they women. Spot and they were like, yeah, bloody joking. <laughs> and when I said, I told you about that guy, the first time I saw him, I looked into his eyes and it was so dark. And, you know, she'd been right. And I'd actually seen that too in a photo. But, um, yeah, so then he tried to stalk me through. He was an IT guy, so he tried to stalk me through every which way, through the internet and every through my own, you know, um, contact pages and God knows what, anyway, I, I, I won't go into it, but yeah, mm. so, yeah, but I just, I would not reply. So this is the thing um, that everyone needs to know. Never, ever reply. Yeah. Not one thing. Once you've said your bit, it's over. Um, you never, ever reply to anything ever again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and in a sec, I'd love for you to speak about the trauma bond as well, just because mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's really interesting as well. To, um, but like with my narcissist, when it all ended, um, so we were on a, on a call online and basically I just got off a group coaching program. I give my all to my clients, right? So I got off and I was kind of, it was 10 o'clock at night. I was tired and he's like, Oh, I need you to look over this PowerPoint presentation for me or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I spent like half an hour looking through his thing and I asked him a question that he did not like. And he was like, I'm not talking about this right now and hung up on me. And I sat there in that moment and I was like, mm, I'm done. I'm done. And I, in that moment deleted everything out of my phone every photo every email every text I just cleared and I was like oh I woke up the next morning and I felt free now I didn't hear from him for 10 days right now we didn't have a conversation about it being over or anything like that um, at this point we're like 11 months 12 months in um and I was at a cabin actually with my friend and there was no reception and we'd gone into town for dinner and this notification had popped up on my phone and I saw his name and at that point I had an actual, like a nauseous response when I saw it. I'm like, Oh my God, my body is screaming at me, you know, like run away. And she said, Oh, well, what, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, if I don't look at it, I'm going to think about it, you know? And I said, I'm done with this shit. I'm done with it now. And I was ready. So I opened it, I opened this group thing. And cause we'd started a, um, in lockdown, we'd started a Facebook group, like a closed group so that we could chat in there and send each other stuff and stay in touch or whatever. Um, and I had, I had removed myself from the group and he'd added me back in because he'd been talking to me in that group every day and wondering why I hadn't been responding. And for 10 days, he'd been doing live videos in there, posting messages. Um, why? I can't believe you haven't called. Why haven't you come back? And I'm like, you hung up on me and you want me to, and I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I have a rising Scorpio. I'm not like, I'm ice queen, right? I'm out. Like, <laughs> you did not do this to me. Anyway, so... 
And there was all these like really victim like, I can't believe I just cry every day and all this kind of bullshit. And then, <laughs> but then you saw the twist where it was like, Oh, you know, it got nasty. I could see them. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? Nah, remove myself again. I called him. I called him on the phone and I just said, what are you doing? Like, we're done. We're done. And he's like, Oh, and he acted all cool on the phone. He's like, Oh yeah, I guess, you know, when one door closes, another door opens. And I was like, that's weird. And then I hung up and then of course all the texts started coming through um, all the angry texts and stuff. And, um, and then, yeah. And then it kind of fizzled out and then I got a, I'd get texts every now and then, obviously I had to ignore him. And then every now and then I'd find a platform that I'd forgotten to delete him on who'd try and access me through. So mm-hmm. email, WhatsApp, Skype, I was getting video calls on Skype like weeks and months later. I was hearing from a friend that he was always asking her about me all this kind of stuff. And then um, I got a package. I think I talked about this in the last podcast. I got a package delivered to my house under a false name. Mm-hmm. And I threw it in the fire. I didn't even open it. Because <laughs> I was like, what a betrayal of my trust. I said, no. Or my, my boundaries, right? I said, no, no contact. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Leave me alone. And so the fact that you created a fake name so that I would open it no means that you know that I don't want to hear from you and I was just like isn't that so gross and then like I said to you before the call the other day um I got an email from LinkedIn oh so-and-so's viewed your profile I'm like oh my god like this is nine months on ten months on but that oh god that yeah just why they won't let go and it's how easy it would be to get sucked back in. That's the thing. And this is where I would love for you to hear about the trauma bond because that, I feel, is that a big reason why people continually go back? It's so, yeah, well, it's certainly part of the reason. And I, I totally get what you're coming from because they, they can keep on, you know, doing stuff and trying to send you messages. And, you know, like you were saying, and like this IT guy, he had all these email addresses, you know, based yeah. in Germany and Japan and God knows where. And next thing I'd get some email, you know, saying that he'd downloaded one of my hypnotracks, my freebies off my website, and he listened to me every night when he went to sleep. And I just wanted to go, Whoa, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. felt, I felt nauseous because, you know, they can't respect your boundaries. This is typical narc stuff, you know. They, they can't stand boundaries. Any manipulator and abuser can't stand boundaries no matter whether we want to call them a narcissist or whatever they can't yeah so um so they're gonna they're gonna push them and push them and push them and so you touch what i haven't heard from them for ages but yeah they do go on for months so yeah you're not alone and so say this to to um all our listeners you're not alone there's so many people out there going through this shit it's not funny so trauma bond, okay, let's have a look at trauma bond. So trauma bond really is about intermittent reinforcement. So this, this is what happens, like we were talking about before, you know, it, it, it goes wrong and you start to think, oh my God, what am I doing in this relationship? And then it's good for a while. And so it's this kind of, it's awful, and then it's good. There's a cycle of being devalued and then rewarded over and over. And it actually, what happens is it creates a strong chemical and hormonal bond between the victim and the abuser. And this is why victims of abuse often describe feeling more deeply bonded to their abuser 
than they do to people that would actually treat them well. And this can become um, uh, this kind of a, a cycle in a way, um, particularly, I guess, if you grew up in this kind of um, scenario. And so let's say Mr. Nice Guy comes along and he's just nice. But you turn him away because you're so used to this awful way of being treated. This is why people go back into these relationships. Yeah. So anyone who's been in, in an abusive relationship can become trauma-bonded to their abuser. But of course, those of us that have experienced traumatic relationships with, as children are more prone because, yeah. of course, we need that at a young age. So some signs of trauma bonding. Um, you want to leave someone, but you can't bring yourself to cut them out of your life. And one that you mentioned before, you're in a relationship that you would never want any of your loved ones to be in. Mm-hmm. And the person has some characteristics that remind you of a toxic parent or another caregiver. Mm-hmm. And one of the big ones, and I think we've all done it, you find yourself trying to get back to the past. So you remember the love bombing stage when they still had their mask on. Yeah. And you think, well, they were like that then. Why can't we go back to that? But you're not going to. Or if you do, it's only going to be fleeting just to hoover you back in. Yeah. And another one that we've probably all done, you're justifying behavior that you know is wrong. You know, you know what they're doing is wrong, but you, you're making excuses to people, sometimes feeling really embarrassed for making excuses to people. Yeah. Um, so, oh, no, no, that's, that's okay, you know. Um, and they know it's not. Hmm. Yeah. But they, they're sort of trying to humor you, and they can see, and often your friends and family, of course, can see it. Um, and he hates it, and so... He, he wants to isolate them any further. And before you know it, you can't see your friends, you can't see your family. I've even known some people, um, clients of mine, who, who weren't allowed to see their children. Or the children went, uh, one poor woman, the children weren't allowed to come to the house. Now, the children were growing, right? So they're grandchildren as well. Weren't allowed to come to the house. And here's the thing, it was her house that he'd moved into, he didn't have a scent, but they weren't allowed to come to the house. She had to go and meet them in a coffee shop somewhere. And then, when she was there, he was texting her all the time. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I've heard some doozies over the years, I can tell you. I bet, yeah. 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 um, One of the other points that I was going to ask you about, which was a perfect segue then, was this this thing around how they wear a mask. Because the the more distance that I've had since leaving, the more the mask and the lies. The, but the way the way that they portray themselves, it it blows my mind, and it, it like it makes me so angry because all these lovely people who work with him, who know him, who refer him, see this side that's so generous and charismatic and knowledgeable, and it's made me feel insane. Honestly, as mm-hmm. I looked back and I thought, did I imagine all of that stuff? Because remember when he was like this and like this and like this, and what's been really um, useful actually for me is looking at hard evidence and especially when it comes to the lies like and I say the lies were so everything was a lie and I mean everything was a lie and so to go back to your original point about you know it 
at the subconscious level, they feel like no one would love me basically if they knew who I really was. And to actually see that, how that actually played out, like he lied about money. He lied about his success. He made these grandiose promises and, and it was like, it got to the point where he couldn't lie anymore. And that's when everything sort of started to crumble because I started to see him for who he actually was. But the, how do we get our heads around that? Like in terms of the mask and how they put on the show for everyone else and they're so liked. And I know I've had people after our last podcast, some people reached out to me and said, Oh my God, that, that concept of the mask and how people don't believe me when I tell them what's happened because they're so nice and they're so, Mm -hmm. they're such a good family, man. They would never do that. How do we get our heads around that? Yeah, well, that's a really, really tricky one. And I know how painful, you know, that can be because sometimes um, they've groomed your, your family and your friends to actually believe that they are the nice one and you're not. That doesn't happen all the time, luckily. But um, the terminology for those people that just see them as the great person is flying monkeys. So they groom these flying monkeys um, who only see that side of them. And, yeah, it, it can be absolutely awful. It really can. So there's no... There's no real way around that a lot of the time. You just have to be strong within yourself. And remember that nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah. So people are only judging from the behavior that they see. But remembering that the abuser is acting. So he or or she, because sometimes it is a she, are acting a part Right, so they're acting that part to all these people, and then when they get home and they close the door, then they they act a completely different part. So it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, you're stuck with Hyde at home. Other people see Jekyll. Yeah, that's that's what it's like. And you know, one of the things is that um, you can get what's called a communal narcissist, which means someone that is out there doing good for the community. And they might be plastering it all over Facebook or wherever, you know, that they've raised money. And, and so everyone thinks, oh, this person's a really good person. Yeah. And then they go home and then they abuse their family. Yeah. But who's going to believe them? Exactly. What a strategy. Who's going to believe them? What a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this happens so often. Yeah. But, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. It really isn't. And that, and I suppose in a way that's that's why some people go back. Mm. Well the, the element of doubt is huge, isn't it? I mean I've observed that just within myself, questioning, like, was I actually wrong? Was I did I imagine that? Was it as bad as I thought? Because look at, you know, all of that stuff and you're like, No, 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 no. Um and that's why I was saying before, having hard evidence was useful for me because I couldn't you know, feel, I couldn't like make up stories about that. Here's the facts. Here's what he said. And here's the truth that it's a lie. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I kind yeah. of have to bring me it's, back into exactly. the prison. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in fact, you know, it's a really good thing. And I do it in some of my workshops and courses is just to get a piece of paper and um, put a column down the middle. And then on one side, write fact and the other side, Right, fiction. Yeah. And then look at the stuff that you've been told by them and then you look at what you know as an absolute fact and you go, 
this is a whole lot of bullshit. Mm. Because they're very good at making up stories about people. Yeah. And so their concept of who you are can be completely different to who you actually are. Mm. But in their mind, in their deluded mind, because they do have disordered thinking, mm-hmm. you're, you're something else altogether. Mm. You know, it's, um, it's not nice, but it, it is a good way of actually putting it down there on paper and saying, okay, so this is the fact, and this is the fiction that they created around this fact. Yeah. Well, you know, that's absolute crap. Yeah, yeah. Basically, because, yeah, they're real good at that. Yep. So this is the, I'm coming back to the question that I started about half an hour ago before we went down a river. <laughs> yep. This is why it's good to take notes. Okay. So, you know, when, so we were talking about in the beginning, how this thing of building rapport and they, they hook us in and they make us really love them and think they're amazing. Do they then figure out, so they're figuring out what we like. So they also figure out our weaknesses to use them against us. Totally. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. They're testing you. Yeah. Uh, they are testing you out for, for what they can get away with. Yeah. So if you don't have firm boundaries and you accept um, or allow some of this behavior and just sort of gloss over it, you know, if, if they're making, let's, let's say, um, jokes about you at your expense and they're not funny, and if you don't call them out about it, then they'll just keep on doing it because they can see that, you know, you're going to let them do it, but it will escalate and it'll get worse and worse and worse. And then they'll be telling all sorts of stories about you Hmm. that are completely untrue. Yeah. 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 So you've got to nip it in the bud real quick. So you've got to know what the signs are Hmm. and you've got to deal with it. And if it, if it looks like that person is, you know, as a narcissist or some other type of toxic or difficult or high conflict person, um, then you've really got to go, no, I'm not having that in my life. You can give them a little bit of leeway, like, you know, you can say, well, that's maybe an orange light or an orange flag and let's see what happens next time. But, yeah, next time. I'd say three stripes and you're out. Yeah. And you've got to be firm about it just don't yeah just don't tolerate it because they're betting that they're trying to see how much you will tolerate yeah yeah Yeah. and so it's really really important um which of course is why i wrote my course to when you do seek help from some from a therapist or a coach or whoever is to get someone who actually understands what this is all about and has been through it themselves because otherwise, you know, you can reach out and, um, yeah, and find that the person really doesn't understand and starts to blame you. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very, very important. Otherwise, you can be re-traumatised and then you start questioning yourself again. Oh, maybe it was my fault. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I could have handled that better. This is what they want. Yeah. This is what they want. And they are the therapist's nightmare if you ever try and do couples coaching with them, which I, I teach, but I, I no longer do, um, because they, they want to get you on side. Yeah. You know, the narcissist wants to get you on side so that they're perfect and the other person is to blame. Uh-huh. 
yeah, so that, that's a game they play. So you've got to be very firm there as well. Yeah, okay. All right, so I have three questions written down. Yeah. <laughs> These are the final ones, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to uh, go off topic here. Okay, so first question, how can we best empower ourselves so that we don't end up in these situations? Okay, so we need to have awareness. That is, you know, that's what I've been seeing these past few months yeah. um, more than ever, is that we need to be aware of what abuse is yeah. and what it isn't. We need to know what a healthy relationship looks like because not everyone is a narcissist. Mm. You know, there's people that have really good relationships out there and we've got to really remember that and not, you know, not get sucked down the rabbit hole too far. So it is possible to have, um, but we need to be aware of the signs to look for. And, yeah. But we also need to have self-love. We are worth more than settling. Mm for some type of inferior abusive relationship just so that we're not left alone. Yeah. And, and that is one of those things where um, learning to be alone is important because once you've got that under your belt, and that can take, you know, as a young woman, I would have found that very hard. Now I love it. But once you've got that under the but you're making a choice from a different place. Yeah. You're making a choice of, now, is this person going to enhance my life? Mm. Or are they going to detract from my life? Yeah. And that's, that's what we have to look at. You know, we, we want our lives to be enhanced by having a partner, mm. not dragged down and down and down until we absolutely lose everything including possibly our sanity. Yeah. So it's a lot of work on yourself. I mean, that's what I do in my programs is um, you need to work on yourself first. And if I want to go woo-woo, I'd say you need to raise your vibration. Yeah. Yeah. Because if, you know, what, when you've been through the mill with them, your vibration starts to drop. So my best advice is take some time once you get out of one of those relationships. Mm. Don't rush into another one. Take some time to do some work yeah. on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, really know who you are and what it is you want. What are your values? What are your core values? You know, yeah. you can't be in a relationship with someone who's got different values. No. You can have different interests and, and have quality time together. And, but if you've got different values, it's, it's not going to work. Um, now... Narcissists and their, their like-minded people have um, very low emotional intelligence. So that's another thing is to really, you know, work on yeah. your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. They have very low EI or EQ yeah. Because, of, yeah, because of how they actually feel about themselves. Yeah. At, at the core of their being is insecurity. Mm. They'll project it onto you, but actually it's the core of their being. So, yeah, so that's all I can say is you need to do a lot of work on yourself, on your self-worth, self-compassion, on your boundaries, on reading the signs, 
and not beating yourself up, which of course is part of the self-compassion, mm. not beating yourself up um, about what's happened to you. And again, put yourself in, in the shoes of um, if you were speaking to a friend, yeah, what would you say? That's always a good one. If you were speaking to a friend about this, what would you say? Love that. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, you made a mistake. And what, you know, what have you, or what I would say as a coach, you know, so what are, you, what are your learnings? What have you learned from that? Yeah. And then you'll see that there were some gifts in there, even though you couldn't see it at the time. Hmm. And and so okay, maybe you know something happened. So maybe it was good that you moved, I don't know, to a small country town where I live now because I love it. <laughs> yeah, and at the time I didn't, but you know, that, and that was a long ride. But now I look at it and I thought, well, there was a reason that I came here. I, I did a heck of a lot of personal growth. Yeah. So you know, you, you can see that there are some gifts in there or some some lessons that we've learned in there. So yeah, work on yourself. Don't rush in. Don't rush into dating. Now, internet dating is um, a narcissist playground. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the reasons, and I've done quite a bit of internet dating, so... Um, Go, Jan. <laughs> over the Woo! years. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> but one of the things is that, um, you know, back, sort of back in the day, um, yeah, well, I suppose it was a long time ago. You kind of meet people, I don't know, you might meet them through work or you might meet them through going to the pub or, or something like that or through something that was on or a club that you belong to or, or whatever, you know, all of those things. You meet yeah. people like that. And it was, but now there's less and less of that, and particularly with COVID. Mm. So everything is online. Now, when you meet, meet those people, um, Say you met someone at work, well, they probably knew other people. Or you met someone in a club or a pub, you were probably with your friends and maybe your friends knew them. There was a little bit, you know, you could you could kind of find out a little bit about them. They had a little bit more of accountability of the way they treated you. Yeah. Because there were other people that knew them. Internet dating, no. You don't even have to use your own photos. There's the whole show Catfish, right? All about that, people who lie on the internet. Absolutely. So they can make themselves be anything. You know, they can can put up a false photo. There's a lot of scammers on there, but um, there's a a lot of people there that are putting up false photos and things. And Mm. yeah, and and they've got no connection whatsoever to you except through that dating site. So it really is a narcissist playground. And they're preying on vulnerable women. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know what, what happens with the guys because I don't see that side of it. So I'm only talking from the side of um, the women's side. You know, they, they're looking. And unfortunately, as you get to this vintage, they are looking for, as they say, a noose or a purse. So they want someone to look after them. And I would say actually it's a noose and a purse. And they want someone to support them financially so yeah. a lot of guys out there after women now for their money yeah i know that sounds negative and horrible but you really really have to be careful 
Well, I th- I'm actually so glad that you've brought up this thing about online dating because I don't do that. It's, I don't like it. Um, but lots of people do. It's how people meet these, you know, this day and age. So I think it's so important to actually get all of these things that we've discussed to translate into even our online interactions with people where if you think you've got a little profile set up or whatever, someone can go and find out your interests and then tell you, oh, yeah, I'm really into that too. I love puppies and kayaking and nature and um, mm-hmm. and yeah basically become whoever you want and I know a friend of mine he was actually chatting about how it's been for women that he knows and lots of women who are chatting to and not just chatting to sleeping with four five six seven different guys at a time um and so if you think about like if we if we consider from this point of looking for a supply I mean it's genius isn't it you've got a bunch of people telling you how hot you are because it's purely superficial you can put, put up whatever you want a bunch of people wanting you like you can feel all important. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a huge, yeah, huge uh, source of supply, and uh, people get addicted to it. Yeah. yeah. So they're not really in reality. And yeah, I mean, what you're saying about women, um, there's also lots of guys that are sleeping with anything that moves. Totally. And trying to tell a woman that um, she's the only one. Yeah. And of course, like I said before, there's a lot of guys looking for a woman who's got a house and I've had guys say this to me it's funny because guys will talk to me about stuff I don't know it's because I'm a therapist and a coach yeah but they'll, they'll tell me this stuff and I'm going oh shit well you're telling me a lot there are they looking for a woman with a house and that's a joke there's no one that falls in love faster than a narcissist with nowhere to live yeah so you know and at the moment of course that's um you know there's not enough housing the rentals are are through the roof and you know that that's another thing that's making it hard for people to live to leave relationships i was just reading that in the herald this morning Hmm. um all all sorts of things like that but yeah it's it is it's a narcissist playground source of supply Yeah. yeah really interesting so there's this whole other world we have to really equip ourselves to to manage because online dating wasn't a thing back in the day. So we haven't even really spoken about it, but yeah, fascinating. Okay. Uh, Next question is if we know someone who's in an abusive relationship, what do we do? (laughs) Well, I would say um, to go on to women's refuge website or shine or it's not okay and just read what they've got there and they they often have um, resources and things on there um the first thing really is to know let them know that you're supportive of them whatever they decide to do yeah you've got to be really careful because you know if you say to someone you're in an abusive relationship they're not going to want to admit it and then they may actually pull away from you. Yeah. So I would, um, yeah, I would just chat to them and sort of see how things are going, see if they'll open up. But it's a gradual process. Now, if if you see that they're badly injured or something like that, then, you know, you need to dial 111 or get them to dial 111. Mm. Um, if they can't speak, then they can press 55. Yeah, and then the location will be um, given to the the one 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 call centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes that happens as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you have to tread very. So I would say people three sites: Shine, Women's Refuge, 
and um, the It's Not Okay campaign. I think the website for that is Are You Okay? Yeah. Um, to read through what's on that, if, if you're suspecting um, a friend or family member is in an abusive relationship. The main thing is to unconditionally be there for them. Yeah. But they may not be ready to accept your help yet. Yeah. You know, I think the average, and this is just off the top of my head, is that, that women can leave seven times wow. before they um, before they actually permanently leave. Now, that would be quite an old statistic, so it may be even more now. Yeah. But, you know, the, just the thing that horrified me when I started uh, looking again at some of these sites after we chatted the other day was that New Zealand has has the worst statistics in the developed world mm-hmm. for family violence. Mm-hmm. That is just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're not really talking about it, are we? There's the, you know... No, well, some people are. Um, you know, like, like I said, I saw that a couple of things in the, the Herald or that, that um, the housing shortage or the... Actually, it was the increase in rentals. Yeah. You know, some rentals in some areas have gone up as much as 40% and that people just can't afford them. So they're staying in these relationships. Mm. And as you mentioned, you know, some of the agencies don't have enough um, refuge rooms for them. And so they're staying in motels or hotels. Um, You know, so that's not helping. Yeah, so just just a whole a whole lot of stuff that's going on that's not being talked about. And that that's the thing, you know, I read a um a post the other day about you know how oh so Meghan Markle and Harry and their their big Oprah <laughs> talk and, and everyone's speaking about that, but no one's speaking about all the other horrific stuff that that's masking behind it, you know? The um the like the connection to Epstein and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, isn't that so amazing? The power that we have as a world, collectively, to share a story like that. Imagine if all of us said, right, we're going to open up this whole conversation. If you're in it, you're like, let's talk about it. Abusive relationships. But we don't. It's still very hush-hush. And it's kind of, but it's, it's delicate. Like you said, it's hard to talk about. And that's why I asked you that question about what do we do? Because you obviously want to be supportive, but you, you also don't want to push people away who are still in that stage of kind of denying it within themselves. But you also don't want to sit here quietly when you know something is wrong. You know, it's such a, it's such a tricky situation. But then I know that being on the other side of that, when, especially as a kid, when everyone knew about it and chose to be quiet, I look at that now and I think I will never do that. And so I just want to, yeah, I never want to ever look back and think, oh my gosh, I could have done something and I didn't because I was too uncomfortable, or, you know? Ugh. It's a hard it's one. It's finding <laughs> that, that balance somewhere in the middle there where you're there for the person. Huh. Um, when their time comes that they want to talk, to talk to you about it. Yeah. You know, or you can, say, refer them to um, a counsellor or a coach or someone who can help them. Huh. Um because sometimes people don't want to talk to their friends about it. Yeah. They'd rather they'd rather speak to a professional. Yeah. Who's impartial and um yeah, it's it's just a difficult one. There is so much shame around it. So much shame. Yeah. 
yeah. And and you can't push a person until they're ready mm. because it will just backfire. There'll yeah. be a, a backdraft as some as they call it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, final question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, okay. This is a big one. So if we're in a in a abusive relationship like that, mm-hmm. how do we leave? Well, you need to make a plan. And on one of those websites that I've been talking about, let's see if I can bring it up here. They help you make a plan because it can take ages to actually get out. So, you know, that plan could be anything like putting some money in someone else's bank account or having a PO box or, you know, anything like that, an exit strategy, basically. That you that you need to have so that you can actually get out. And of course, you don't talk about that to the abuser. You never mention it. Hmm. It it may be that you've got a friend that you've spoken to who you can go and stay with until you can find somewhere on your own. Um, it's always good to have somewhere you can go. Yeah. And of course, this is where they want to keep you isolated so that you don't have somewhere you can go. Hmm. Mm. And I can remember, you know, when I was here and I'd, I'd totally buggered a surgery and really even drove three minutes into town. And I was thinking, I need to leave, but I can't make it to Auckland. Mm. You know, the two hours to Auckland to my friends and family, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um. But, you know, that in a lot of ways, it was my limiting belief. I probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, would, it wouldn't have been a, a fun scenario. I think that's such a, an important point to highlight, though, is that you do feel so disempowered at that point. Like, everyone has limiting beliefs at the best of times. But after having gone through all of that, like, how long did your relationship last for? Well, it lasted, it only lasted two years. But that's two years of this every day. That was two years. And I was, was, yeah, I got bullshit as as I had injury. I mean, that was a terrible time because he just, you know, treated me like shit. But um, Mm. as as I got stronger again and I um, went back into business, I got premises and went back into business and started meeting people. Yeah. Then I was just like, you know, well, I'm going to go. But I was financially entangled with uh, buying this big lifestyle property and shifting the house onto it from Auckland. So I was stuck financially. And if I mm. annoyed him enough, he could have walked away Yeah, and I would have been fucked. Yeah. But I, w- I wouldn't really have been, but it would have been a very, very, I wouldn't have had any ready cash or anything. And I would have been stuck, stuck with um, all this, you know, contracts and things that I had to, to honour. Mm. around the house so you know this is how they do it yeah and of course one of the things about not trying to drive to Auckland when I was in so much pain was shit if I don't make it and he follows me and you know what's going to happen yeah because every time I went anywhere he thought I was going to leave so he fully expected me to leave for two years yeah 
in the end he left because he'd found somebody else because I just wouldn't put up with the shit anymore and yeah so so yay yeah that was a good day that was a good day and I was clever enough to and had a good lawyer to have everything tied up so yeah. Although I did end up losing some money, and, and often you do in relationships as attrition, um, I, I pretty much was okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Just for everyone listening, you should see the smile on her face right now. You can almost feel what it was like that day. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so interesting. Um, yeah so much to talk about I mean we've talked for so long already so we should we will end it here but um I yeah I really hope and I'm sure that this is probably triggered some stuff in people who are listening because it's but it's all from a place of, of love you know and we've been there ourselves and that's why we're having these conversations but it's um I just think it's so awesome that we're able to freely speak about this and from a an empowered place coming out the other side and being able to look back and um, speak up for people who might be going through this now. So thank you so much, Jan. Really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Oh, my pleasure, Monica. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm, I'll put all the links to your your courses and your website and stuff in the description bar, so everyone go and check her out. She's awesome. So if you're going through this, um, definitely you don't have to go through it by yourself. And uh, also, go, go on TikTok. <laughs> honestly it's like i might pass on that one at my age but <laughs> maybe not yeah but honestly that um do you know when you were speaking about having an exit strategy mm-hmm. there are these little communities forming in the comment sections of people hundreds of people sharing how they did it how they actually managed to um because financial seems to be a huge like a yeah. massive factor for people and luckily for me that wasn't an issue but people were saying you know uh, even tips on things like when you go to get groceries, get cash back so that you can start saving cash without them noticing. And it's like, oh my God, it's so, yeah, I, it's very intense, isn't it? It's very intense to get to that point. And that's what I witnessed with my mum. You know, that's exactly how it was. She had no money, none, none. Mm. They and, love it. Yeah. Yep, they, they love it because they can control you. And the old, old thing about being barefoot and pregnant, yeah, they love that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for this, Jen. So awesome. Thank you, Monica. <laughs>